Hello, my friends. Today, I want to give a special shout out to Rex at Logarithm, Ben at BIM Object, and Darren at Animal Logic. If you don't know, Animal Logic is the company behind all the animation of the Lego movies. All of these companies are dedicated to creating better leaders. So, a special thank you to all of you. Now, if you want your team stacked with humble, outcome-driven, technically capable people, then you'll want to set up a CLEAR review. CLEAR stands for Complementary Leadership Evaluation and Review, and we created it for teams and technology leaders just like you. So here is what you'll leave the CLEAR review with. A CLEAR step-by-step -step plan tailored to your exact situation. Tactical insights on how you can apply these skills immediately and a review of your leader's abilities so you can see how your team stacks up to 500 other teams that are just like yours. And we'll answer all of your questions about how to create better leaders faster. Remember, great leaders grow companies. Visit leaderbits.io forward slash clear to set up your clear review today. Today we are talking to Craig the SVP of engineering at SynGrid. And we discuss advice for CTOs going through a merger or acquisition, winning over the team by solving the problems that really matter, and why, as a leader, the most important thing you can do is bring in the next generation of leaders. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Now, I was I was very excited about this episode because I'm just a, I'm a big fan of Syngrid. You you guys came out and it was like I think it was like you and Postmark and maybe like one other company sort of just dominated the space out of nowhere. And for transactional you guys like invented transactional email. Uh yeah, so uh our founders uh Isaac, Tim and Jose were part of the first Techstars class. Uh, and we were the, I believe, the first Techstars class to, uh, first Techstars company to go public. Uh, so we're wow. we're a tremendous success from that side of things, and we owe a lot to the Techstars program. Um, and Isaac uh, was a serial entrepreneur, and so each company he set up, he would have to go and solve the password reset use case. <laughs> Uh, and felt like it shouldn't be as hard as it was. The amount of unicorn magic that was needed to actually get that password reset email to the inbox was tremendous. And he thought, well, maybe I can solve this problem for some other folks and start a company around it. And here we are now, like 80,000 customers later. Turns out it was a pain point. How did how did you come across Syngrid? How did you get into the family over there? Oh my goodness! Um, it was a convergence of just a bunch of things that um, was pretty magical. I I uh, realized that I had been in a big company, Cisco, for long enough. Uh, I have nothing but good things to say about Cisco, and it's a big company. It was time to get back to something smaller. Uh, and I met with a friend of mine to find out, okay, so here, here are my list of, you know, 47 things I'm looking for in my next job. Uh, who in Colorado 
could meet these sort of requirements. And he listed four companies, Sengrid was one of them, and then completely unrelated, uh, Sengrid cold called me the next week, wondering if I was interested in leading engineering. Yes, I am. Yes, you are. I, I love those moments in life when like the serendipity and the timing and everything just falls into line. Like those feel like the good right moments, like when you're at the intersection of like life. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And are you still in Colorado? Uh, my family actually goes back four generations here. So my great grandfather was a carpenter and he built some of the uh, historic buildings here in Denver. And so I left for five years, but came back as soon as I could. Where, did, where was your visit to? Uh, so I went to University of Oregon for my master's and then down to Santa Cruz, California for my first job out of school and then came back so my kids could know their grandparents. That's incredibly important. I live, I'm a native, multi-generation native in the town that I live in. Okay. And so we've got all the family here and it just, I mean, I've traveled everywhere, but the, the nature where you are is insanely beautiful. It is. And, and same here. I live in, it's been rated number one beach in the world, like multiple times in the past decade. And so it's called Sarasota, Florida. It's an hour south of Tampa. But okay. the sand is like this white baby powder. And that's why everybody likes it. Oh, wow. And so I love the fact that we have the family nearby and it's just, it's very useful for the you know kid not to grow up alone. Yeah, indeed. Um, and so you do this program to help uh, emerging leaders sort of understand what it, what it takes. You do this from your home? Yeah, no. So from the office, we have a team of about 11 people out there. Ah. Mm-hmm. You have a very and homey office. I know. Well, it used to be actually a therapist office. Oh, okay. Yeah. So when we expanded, we we started out in a small office, just we called two, two or three people. And then we did. So I'll give you the quick story if, if you'd like. Uh, I would love. The, or, the origin story. So I was at this point in my career, I had an app agency and we just did contract work, had it for like a decade, right? We had about 15 people. And I'd saved up some money. And as my first daughter was being born, I thought, I'm going on this 20-year career stretch right now, right? Like that's, it'll go, everyone says it goes by so fast. I'm just going to listen to the smart people. And do I want to be, right? (laughs) Do I want to be, you know, doing contract apps for for another two two decades? And I was like, not really. I have some savings. So I was looking at this idea of an AI startup. I wanted to build this standard that would be how um, it stores emotional stories like memories and things like that. So I was considering that and I figured if we built this large repo of data, then when the technology catches up, they will consume that and we can use that to help create the AI personalities. Mm -hmm. But if my timing was off by two or three years, I'm out of money and it's like, it doesn't have a direct benefit. There's no cash in the door today. Yeah. So I looked at that. I was like, okay, that's cool. But what would sustain like any technology trend? And I thought, well, I was listening to this guy, Gary Vee. He's like a marketing person who's popular in social media. And he was talking about adding value to a place where you have credibility and knowledge and sharing and helping others. And so I said, all right, well, I have this experience of CTO and engineer and 
you know, all of that. So I'll just start sharing that. So it was a blog, then I wrote a book. And then before we published the book, I started contacting CTOs to discuss the book. So I didn't get like flamed when I put it out. Right. <laughs> and, and those conversations ended up being really interesting. So we recorded it, put it out there to the world and you just structured the topics around the book and how to help other people. And then people started listening and we started getting, you know, they would, people would write us, subscribe to the show and the listeners grew and then it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And at one point I just said, all right, this is taking off enough where I can put, I can financially afford to put my focus here. Mm -hmm. Then about like four or five months after we started, people were asking, they say, Hey, we hear you on our commute. And you're talking about all these ideas with great leaders. How, how do we get our people to, to do that? Like to do what you guys talk about. Like we talk about like giving credit and individual ownership and like all of these things that we know we should be doing. Like how do I get my people to do it? So we ended up creating these, these small leadership challenges and built a platform in about 10 days, super ugly, basic MVP sure. and deployed it. And they liked it. They got to see their engineering leaders doing these great things with their teams and we then incrementally improve step-by-step step as you build any product, right? And we got customers. And then, you know, I was Googling videos on YouTube on how to make a sale, like how to do sales. Cause I'm, I don't have sales experience. Sure. And you know, I ran, I learned how to do sales. I sold a hundred thousand dollars in three months of annual recurring revenue. And I started talking to some of my friends I had in the VC space and they said, wow, that's pretty good for never been being in sales. And so we, did a venture round and then we grew. And so now we have a, now I have a leadership company and I spend my days talking to like the greatest leaders on the planet. And it's honestly like a dream. Like it's the coolest, I couldn't have architected this idea five years ago. It's just unbelievable how it happened. The amount of stuff that is available to people who want to learn today is astounding. So I know how to tie a bow tie because my son taught me. He knows how to tie a bow tie because he's watched a video on YouTube. Uh, but you Googled, how do I sell stuff? And now you have a company. So that's pretty amazing. Yeah, there's this guy named Brian Tracy who was popular in the 80s. He was like, a, you would buy his VHS tape. And it was like, do, 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 like the old 80s music. And it was like, today we're talking about sell. He was like, his analogies were selling a vacuum door to door. But the thing about it was, I, I had watched like four or five different people and there was something about his professionalism and his personality. I said, I want my brand to be that style as a person. Okay. And so I learned his selling style, uh, which is, you know, now that I'm learning more about, it's just, you, we're only useful to people who have the need. And so it's just really raise your hand who has this need. Okay. Here's the information about our product. And then, you know, you go through it. And because, you know, that's, I don't know, we're just really good at the one thing that we do. And I like that. It makes it simple. That's excellent. But that's the story of how the podcast got started. And then it's awesome. But here's the cool thing. Now that we have the, the leadership company, financially, it allows me to go. Now I go around the world and I speak and I share what I learned on the podcast in, in a talk. Like I have a talk. I go to you know big companies, like technology companies, and uh, I, have, I share with them and their engineering leaders. And just it's packed full of value because I hate talks that yeah. are ambiguous or like not clear. It's like, oh, we're going to talk about this idea over here and maybe some I, things you could possibly do in the future. I was like, we need tactical, like I'm an engineer by trade. Like I need some steps, you know? Yeah. 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 Uh, so how can I help you today? What can I tell you that would be interesting? 
your biggest lesson as you became a first time leader? Ooh, uh, my biggest lesson as I became a first time leader was that I needed to wear my big boy pants to work every single day. Um, biggest mistake I made in my career was around uh, configuration UI for uh, a pretty technical product that we had developed. Uh, I, I felt like we needed to burnish off all the magic that the thing could do and just focus on some simple customer use cases and hard code UI around that. Uh, our architect felt like we needed to auto-generate the UI from XML. Uh, and we fought and we fought and we fought and finally I gave and I knew it was the wrong answer. And lo and behold, a year later, later, we ended up throwing that thing in the dustbin and it wasted a lot of money. And that was my realization that, oh no, my decisions matter a ton. And sometimes being a leader means not being enjoyed in the moment. And I just need to wear my big boy pants and take it. I love it. That's, that's like amazing advice. Wow, I'm gonna like just take a moment and take all that in. <laughs> <laughs> What's your leadership style as a whole now? Uh, leadership style as a whole varies based upon stage of company I'm I'm at. So, uh, Sengrid now Twilio is my third uh, uh, third run at taking a company that was relatively small and chaotic and growing it into uh, to late growth stage, uh, putting structure, order, and these sorts of things. Um, in the, the early moments, it's a lot more hands-on benevolent dictator. And uh, once a team is in place, once um, people understand how we're going about things, it becomes much more coach, mentor, these days, I'm actually working with the skip level, the, the next generation beyond my leaders, trying to help them understand how to be uh, subversive within the system that we've got right now. How to accomplish what they need to get done uh, by working around the rules that we've got in an intelligent way. Do you have any examples or situations off the top of your head that? Uh, great example. We, we have a, a just brilliant front end principal engineer who has been very passionate about the way that we've done things and the need to re-architect here or there. I encourage him to take that next step and actually work with teams from other uh, sites to come up with a framework that would, that would support all of the different UIs that we were trying to develop. Uh, and then not ask permission so much, but just go ahead and start making that happen. 
Uh, and he went ahead and formed a Tiger team around it, built the framework. Uh, we pulled in somebody from one of our other UI teams, so that's now making its way back over there. But it, given the timelines that we had, it would have been really easy for him to say, you know what, let's just go ahead and using the thing that we've got and add incrementally onto it. I, th I think it's more important that we let people who are passionate and who show a sense of ownership around something take risks once in a while. He took one, it paid off big time for us. You mentioned something that I haven't heard and I always ask questions when, when that happens. You said tiger team? Oh boy, we, we love the tiger teams. Um, yes, so pulling a few people who are highly skilled from different teams together uh, and putting them in a focused situation. So maybe they even go so far as to isolate in a conference room over the course of a couple months, um, just so that they can make heads down progress on one focused thing and leave their day job behind. It's like an internal on-demand think tank. Yeah. Uh, that's a great way of looking at it. Did you, is this from a, a book? Do you have a continued reading on this? I mean, I get the, I get it high level, but if I wanted to dive deeper into the Tiger Team concept, is there literature on it? I bet you could find a YouTube video. I bet I could. I didn't know if it was something Craig came up with. No, it is, it is not a Craigism uh, whatsoever. <laughs> There's a word for it. It's Craig. There's not a Craigism. We, we've got the list of those on yeah, the wall. No, that, that is by no means a, a Craigism, something that we do here that's actually a little bit unique with respect to Tiger teams. Um, when, when you pull a Tiger team together, they've got uh, just something that is mission critical for the company. They get isolated from all the day-to-day when they are successful, it's so easy to give them all of the accolades and just sort of cheerlead the, the efforts that they've made. And a lot of times people who are just very thoughtful in their planning and diligent in their execution produce great results, but also produce no drama to go with those results. And so it's very easy for them to fly under the radar. And so we actually have an award that we give out on a regular basis within engineering. That's the Ghost Tiger Award that goes to the team that provided the most value with the least drama. That's what I want. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one everybody should want. Right? It's like, I, I just did my job so well and created so much change and like it didn't even cause any problems. <laughs> yes, ex exactly. And it's, it's so easy to ignore those folks. And they, they look over at, you know, d diving save after diving save, get pats on the backs and wonder, you know, did, does something need to blow up for me to have a chance? And at least within uh, Twilio Sangret, no, you don't have to have something blow up to get recognized. So the acquisition, that happened fairly recently, right? Uh, we closed on February 1st. I had interviewed at a conference in person one of the platform directors for Trilio's offering that they had where it was, if I'm remembering correctly because it was last year, they had taken this call center application that was a bunch of components and had done some really unique engineering 
around it so you could pick and choose what components you wanted of theirs and then build on top of it yourself. It was really unique. But when I saw them, it was, they were, they were huge. Like they had the biggest booth. They were a very cool, modern company doing some interesting stuff on the engineering, but also had beautiful products. I know SynGrid in my mind for having a beautiful brand. That was one of the first things I ever noticed about the organization. And so it seems like you guys pair well on the beautiful brand side. But let's say that there's a CTO listening or you know, director of engineering that is a little nervous about a pending uh, you know, merger or acquisition that, that may happen. What advice would you give to that individual? Oh, golly. Uh, if, if the merger or acquisition is a good one, and so far in my career, I've been blessed to only be part of good ones. This is my third. Um, uh, there is so much uh, opportunity for folks. So uh, back in the day, I, I led engineering for Jabber, which got acquired into uh, Cisco. When we got acquired, it was a small team, maybe 30, 35 engineers. Um, and over the course of a couple of years, my, my team scaled up to about 150 across different sites. So we were able to do oh so much more, but the, uh, Cisco recognized the value of the technology that we had at the time. Uh, and so it, 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 uh, 12 different business units were using the software by the time I left that group, doing all manner of things that we had never envisioned. Um, and so it was, it was a really cool opportunity to see our baby grow up and just be wildly successful, more so than we we thought ever could be. Um, I've also seen through acquisition, um, uh, uh, Cisco acquired a small company called Broadhop, uh, maybe 50 people. There was a sales director there that they tabbed to lead uh, the product organization. Uh, today, and this is only four years later, five years later, today he is the general manager for their mobility and automation group, which uh, I think has revenue north of a billion dollars. So opportunity that never, ever, ever would have been there within a small company. Um, the The Acquisition of Sengrid by Twilio uh, actually lets us both realize our dreams. So our, our dreams were very, very well aligned. Our vision was to become the world's most trusted customer communication platform. Uh, their vision was to create the leading customer engagement platform for developers and companies. So you can see these things are very, very much alike. Um, to to be able to provide that customer communication platform, you need different channels that you can use to speak to your customers. You need voice and video and SMS and push and email and so on. Um, but you also need applications that those companies and developers can use uh, to, to orchestrate that higher order communication, whether it's you know, contact center or marketing campaigns uh, and we had a channel that Twilio did not. Twilio had multiple channels that we did not. 
they had the application that you're describing, which is Flex. That's a contact center application. Um, and, and Flex um, will deploy a basic contact center out of the gate if you make no customizations along the way. But you can pick and choose the way you want it to function, uh, which gives a greater de uh, degree of configurability to the to the the company. So it's it's still SaaS, but it's SaaS with customization, which is somewhat a novel concept. Um, so they had Contact Center, which we didn't, and we have a marketing campaigns application, which uh, they did not. And so we have the same vision. Uh, we have missing pieces of the puzzle on both sides. Uh, No-brainer. Let's put those things together and accelerate our joint vision. So, uh, to that CTO or director, uh, so much opportunity if the acquisition has been well vetted. Many of them, many acquisitions fail, but that's generally because of poor vetting up front. That's not because of integration uh, angst post-acquisition. Now, is is SynGrid engineering, was that technically considered like hyper growth where you were prior to the acquisition, like where, where you've been in the past year? Uh, on, the, on, the, on the revenue side, we were growing um, north of 30%. So we, we were a high growth company. Uh, within engineering specifically, if you wanna measure maybe by headcount, um, we have doubled in headcount over the last four years from about 80-ish uh, to 170-ish and will be 200 in the next quarter or so. So you were 80-ish to 70-ish when? In uh, 2015 when okay. I started. Okay, and then you'll be 200 by like next year? Uh, we'll be a couple hundred in the next quarter. In the next quarter? Yeah. That's exciting. Are you hands-on involved with the talent acquisition or is there like a small team that handles that? How do you set up your talent pipeline? Um, uh, yes, that it, that's one of the things that I had my hands in early at Sengrid. Um Coming in the, the recruiting process, the interviewing, all of that had grown somewhat organically. Um, and it, it needed a lot more structure than it had. Um, it was, it was the one thing. So when, when coming into a new, uh, uh, a new job, there's a great book out there called the first 90 days that, um, uh, I would recommend to anybody that lays out, you know, how do you identify what type of situation you're coming into? How do you adjust your strategy based on that? How do you manage up? How do you set your list of criteria that you want to start knocking off. And um, it, it makes the great point that, you know, first 30 days should be all about note taking and listening and not getting involved in making big changes. And I, th I think I was in SendGrid for a week when I froze all open recs until we could fix the interviewing process. Uh, because there's there's not much that you do as a leader that's more important than uh, bringing in that next generation of leaders and making sure you get that right. And we didn't have a system in place that would ensure that. 
Um, so we, we have revamped the recruiting process a couple times now. Um, I would, I would say that, uh, versus other companies that I've been at where we put more of the burden on the hiring manager's shoulders than most companies I've seen recruiting used as a crutch. Uh, we, we have very effective recruiters who can go out and source talent and do basic screening and get the right candidates and close and all of that. Um, where, where we really needed to step up was on the ownership from the engineering manage, manager side, just driving the entire process and um, providing a level of clarity to the recruiting team so that they could actually do their jobs. And so what, what that looks like is uh, putting together a very clear job description, then going out to LinkedIn, finding a handful of people that would look like ideal candidates, describing uh, why each one of those is an ideal candidate so that the recruiters have a great idea of what to go after. Um, then letting the recruiters batch up a number of resumes, pass those over so that there can be a pre-screen before the phone screens. Uh, and the reason for that is a little bit of customization on those phone screens based on resume can actually help weed out a bunch more. Um, but then engineering managers, so you have an engineering background, you know, you're, you're much more likely to respond to an engineering leader than you are to a recruiter. Oh yeah. They just hit the spam box all the time. It's like, nope. <laughs> Exactly. Um, and, and so I look for uh, my engineering leaders to go and look in all of those places where I don't expect a recruiter to make much headway. So if we're looking for somebody who's an expert in search, then I want my engineering leaders poking in the Apache solar project and reaching directly out to contributors over there. Um, and so it just ends up being a, a much more active process on the part of the hiring manager. Actually, one of the, we, I have a, I'm an engineer, so I have crazy ideas all the time, right? Like products. It's just something that happens to us by default. And yep. one day I was thinking, you know, all these recruiters are you know, contacting me and there's no, like, there's no way. For, and I, get, I got on the phone with one of them once, right? Talked to them there's no way for them to know the quality of like, they have no concept of like the code or quality. They can't vet anything yet. They're spending, they were spending time with all these people and then trying to refer them into to interviews. And I was like, why don't we just create some system that goes and scans like all of GitHub and starts running an uh, analysis on their static text. You know, this was a little bit before now, now it's commonplace with like our code climates and our deployments and everything, but this is before then. Sure. I was like, and then we could analyze the quality of their code, right? And then it, we could give everyone a rating. And so now if a recruiter needs someone that's really good in Ruby that has experience like with, with these gems, they could go Ruby gems and then see who has the highest code quality scores. And then now they know how to recruit off of that. But then I, I thought, I don't want to, I don't want to build a gun and give it to my enemy. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, nah. pass, pass. Yeah. <laughs> I like that book. Uh, I want to learn more. It was called the first 90 days. The first 90 days. That's good. So we just put out, or it's not actually out yet. It's just hit design, like our design team. 
uh, a guide called your first 90 days as CTO. And so the interesting thing was like, the, that's the beginning, like analyzing. And so I want to go, I want to go look at this book to see if I can add more value to the guide through the content that's in this book. So you recommend this book. You like it personally? Highly, highly. Okay, cool. What are, do you have the other big milestones of it's like research? Do you just, and then. Oh, uh, so there's uh, first 30 days is all about analysis, figuring out which situation you're in. The um, uh, next steps vary based upon whether, you know, you've got a turnaround or you've got some other sort of situation. Um, but it gives just very helpful pointers about how to manage up set expectations such that, uh, you know what? everything's on fire. The world has been napalmed. I appreciate that there are trash can fires over there. These are the top three things that we're going to address over the next 60 days. And all the rest of those fires, they're going to get pushed out. And just taking the time to build the comprehensive plan so that you're not coming from a, a position of reactivity, but you're actually looking at the problems strategically. Uh, it was it was something that I actually talked about uh, when I was interviewing for my leadership team, which is, okay, I need to understand how you can identify problems, pr uh, priority sort, and then not select all, because I guarantee you, if you go after the first fire you see, uh, you're probably going after the wrong thing. He's trying to identify like, oh, here's, a, I'm going to go get an early win. That's like the lure, right? I'm going to go get an early and I'm going to prove myself. I'm going to show myself. And then you end up solving a trash can fire while there's a, while there's a blaze happening. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and early wins are important. I wouldn't, I wouldn't diminish them, but early wins without taking the time to look at the context. Okay. Uh, they don't provide as much value. You want contextually aware strategic early wins. Yeah. <laughs> All early wins are not equal. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Uh, there was there was a class at uh, MIT Sloan um, where they talked about winning over a, a team, and the example that they gave uh, what was about a, a naval admiral who came in uh, and was taking over a particular uh, carrier, and uh, the morale of the troops was just in the toilet. And uh, as he took time to analyze the problems, it came around that the thing that they hated most in the entire world was the fact that they had to strip the paint off the boat and repaint it every single year, that that was a ridiculous waste of time. Do you agree? Yes, okay, total waste of time, but it's gotta be there for a reason, so let's figure it out. And what it came down to was that the bolts on the boat had to be protected so that they would not rust. And that was the reason for it. Uh, and so with a very, very, very small purchase order, uh, he ordered stainless steel bolts for the entire boat and ended the annual painting process. And now everybody's on board. Fantastic, small, quick win, uh, but he could have just as easily come in and heard that they don't like the food and gone after that and have missed the real problem where the quick win would have mattered more. I love that story. That's a good one. 
Yeah, it is. So do you have specific techniques that you use to drive innovation or I know that's a big buzzword and it's kind of ambiguous, but let's talk about it. <laughs> First of all, <laughs> we can start with innovation. So I got asked, the reason why I bring this up, right? I got asked for like a, a conference was happening and they were doing the pamphlet, the paperwork, you know, they hand everybody the book you get for your bag that yeah. you can throw it away later. <laughs> like that, th that thing. Um, and they asked me for a quote and they, the question was, what is innovation to you? And I mean, I felt like it was a boring response because I was like, it's just small incremental improvements over time. Like that's just what the word means. But companies sometimes will take innovation and make you think that it means something like entirely new and different. And a market can really only withstand like 10% innovation at a time. And so like, do you talk about, first of all, let's start at the beginning. Do you talk about innovation on your team? How do you talk? What's the, if I say that word over there, if I talk to your leadership team over there about innovation, what are they going to tell me? Oh, golly. Uh, probably depends on who you talk to. Okay. Uh, so number one, I, I agree with you that innovation is often just small improvements over time. Um, and it's, it's really easy to focus on innovation as, oh my goodness, uh, brands banking, new product, new, uh, new market that, that you're going after. We, we do have a process around that that I'll talk about in a moment. Um, but I, I think that what gets lost is that innovation shows up in, in your process. Innovation shows up in your tooling. Inno innovation shows up in how you lead. It's not just about um, product innovation. Um, and I, I, I think that you would lose people talking about innovation um, for those contexts. People here would know it as ownership, uh, acting like an owner. Like you, if you see problems, fix it. Uh, if you have great ideas, feel free to be subversive. And in fact, I'll even uh, happily coach you on how to get around the system that's causing you problems. If you want to uh, uh, get around dependencies between teams and you want to uh, develop together, uh, have an internal open source movement, like just get around the system. That's innovation. Um, on, the, on the product side, we actually do think about the world in terms of Horizon. So Horizon 1 is... Uh, um, First SendGrid has historically been uh, around transactional email. It is a problem that is solved well, where we can be the market leader and we uh, look to drive continued differentiation, higher scale, uh, more trust with the customers. Um, but that's not groundbreaking sort of feature changes. The second horizon is that next business that's going to launch, which for us has, has been marketing campaigns. And there, there's a lot more opportunity to do new things and go after new markets. Then there's horizon three, where we've traditionally had a labs program. Uh, and the labs program has a formal process around how they validate that the Innovation is something that the the, uh, the world would actually want. 
and so it starts with a press release. So they put together the press release around, hey, this, this magical thing that doesn't actually exist has just been created. Uh, and then they get that in front of customers to get their reaction. And they look to make sure that the reaction is actually uh, visceral <laughs> because people will be polite. They'll tell you your idea is a great idea, but they wouldn't buy it. And so there needs to be an emotional reaction to that press release to say, okay, now, now we're on the right track. And the, the next step is that prototype. It's the, looking at your article on LinkedIn today, it, it's, it's the styrofoam hairbrush. Right. Uh, getting that in front of customers and saying, you know, here's our interpretation about what a solution would look like that addresses the problem that we talked about in our press release. And again, you're looking for that visceral reaction. You're getting it in front of the original customers in a new set. Um, and so that, that's how we have generated ideas for that next thing that's bleeding edge. Uh, and in terms of investment profile, it has been sort of 60, 65% toward horizon one, uh, 25, 30% to horizon two, and like five or 10% to that you know, groundbreaking stuff that probably won't uh, pop up for two or three years. How do you run your labs? Do you have a dedicated team to it? Is it like your, what you mentioned before, where you have a couple people come together, like in a think tank style, or how do you run your labs area? So historically, we have run labs as a completely separate team. Okay. The, the skills that it requires, the rapid prototyping, the customer engagement, they're, they're specific skills. Mm -hmm. Uh, recently, we have made the decision to distribute that wealth. We'll see how it goes. So uh, la our, our labs group is actually going to now embed in a number of different engineering teams and drive that discipline and teach those skills to the engineering teams so that we can do this at greater scale. And as we, as we wrap up, what are you most excited about today? Like, what are you jumping up out of bed for? Like, what's the project or what's the area of the business that you're just really excited for? Uh, it, it goes to the, the merger between Sengrid and Twilio. Um, getting that right is going to be critical for us to uh, realize now our combined vision and there's a lot of intrigue in how all of it comes together technically. Uh, customers don't want to bills. They want to be able to have a platform that provides insights that are independent of channel. Um, and so being, being able to pull that together such that uh, we have the contact center app or a marketing campaigns app that can uh, look at all of the communications across all the different channels and uh, say, uh, you know what, Bob engages at a higher rate on email than on SMS. So we're going to optimize and tune uh, the communications we do with that bias for these types of communications. Um, it's There's a huge opportunity for the platform that 
we jointly build to be a truly better together sort of platform. Uh, and there's so much technical and so much ideation that needs to happen around that to make it a reality. So that's the exciting part, figuring out how these are going to come together. Absolutely. Nice. I like, I like what you mentioned too, the specific feature example, because you're engaging that individual based on how they want to be engaged. And that'll change per product too. Like you could, I could have one company that's on your platform sending me stuff and I want to communicate through email and then another customer on your platform sending me stuff. But for that product, for whatever reason, I'm communicating on text. Uh, absolutely. And so being able to tune that is, is critical. The, the other aspect of the integration that I'm super excited about is there's a lot of change and people, there, there are a few people who love change, who get excited about change. Uh, that is not the natural, normal reaction. And so just being able to help shepherd a large body of people into a new world in a way that they can actually wake up excited, uh, it's a real honor to be able to lead in that way. And then, and then as, last question here, last bit of value. Are you a fan of Elon Musk, like in general, what he's doing for the world, not not his recent media issues? <laughs> um, so I drive a Tesla. Okay. So at, at some level, I've, I've got to be a fan. I, I, um, the notion of being the world's biggest battery company that happens to sell cars as an example of where you can use them. Uh, I love that. Uh, I was actually having a conversation about Elon with uh, my son, who's in a computer science program. Uh, and just when, when somebody is able to have an idea that's that big and that's that far outside the box, it's because they spend a ton of their time thinking outside the box. And that, that box is there for a reason. Um, and so they'll miss on more ideas than they hit. So that, uh, like the, the media stuff that you're talking about right now, you would expect somebody who hits on something as big as what he has to look like a buffoon in 27 other areas because landing outside the box is not always the right choice. That's great. That's how we get innovation and we just sort of accept the oddness that comes along with it so let's say he invites you over to his house he he texts you text sent by twilio uh, <laughs> <laughs> he texts you <laughs> and you go over to his house and he's done this another outside the box thing and he has a time machine and you get to go into the time machine and give yourself one piece of advice right one piece of advice in the past you can go to any point in the past you'd like, what would it be? It took me forever to figure out not to separate business and personal. Um, and I, I think the advice that I'd give me, I'd go back to uh, just starting out engineering line manager me and let me know you know what, 
it's okay to have all the personal relationships with all the people and be your authentic self and let folks know, you know what, uh, today I'm just having a really rough day and I'm probably going to be cranky and it has nothing to do with you. Uh, and appreciate people for their authentic selves. Listen better. It, it, it would have made a huge difference. Um, what, what I admire in the leaders uh, who I respect the most is that they're genuinely good human beings first. I love it. That it's like music. It's like our, it's like our tribe. I, I, I love it. It was fantastic. Craig, you are a wealth of leadership knowledge. I mean, I'm so grateful that you, you came on today and shared. I think this podcast is like the most valuable podcast we have ever done. So I'm so glad we went, we went forward and had the conversation. Thank you very much for having me on and for uh, spending the time with me. And uh, I am looking very forward to getting a princess. Yes. Business. Chloe will reach out and get your address after the show. Okay. And then we will ship it out and you will, you'll receive it in a couple of days. All right. Awesome. Thank right. you very much. Fantastic day. Thank you so much, Craig. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to help, please take a moment right now to open up the iTunes app and leave a review of the podcast. If you take a screenshot of the review and text it or email it to a friend who needs to listen to the podcast and then CC me, joel at moderncto.io. If you CC me on the email, I'll send you a copy of the Modern CTO book or give you a shout out on the podcast, whichever you prefer. We're trying to get listed on the top 100 for iTunes and I need your help in order to do this.